0: How we doing? Good. Survived the snow? Yeah. All right. It's going to be, I think Thanksgiving looks like it's going to be kind of warm. It's going to actually be like 40 or 50, so can look forward to that. Um, we're in a series called Empty Promises where, and all of us do this. There, there are things um, in our lives that we put our hope in that have let us down. I can remember uh, when I was in junior high school, I was in seventh grade, and I wanted to fit in so bad. And 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 I wanted to be you know just part of the group that would fit in. And in order to fit in at, at my school, you had to have two things. And so these were the two things they had to to fit in. One was to to have a pair of Levi's. That was like the cool thing. You had Levi's and Timberland boots. If you had Timberland boots and remember, are my age? Remember that? I mean, if you had the Timberland boots and you had the Levi's, you, and I remember that that's all I wanted for Christmas was like, mom and dad, just, just because, I mean, I'm wearing tough skins and how many you remember tough skins, right? You bought them at Sears and how many you remember when you, we used to call them dungarees. Remember when they had jeans and they were so stiff when you'd put them on and you had to break them in and you'd walk like this for two weeks and, and you knew the person that had new corduroys or new jeans because you could hear them a mile away walking down the hall, right? And then, and then the tough skins, they had the little patches on them. Remember the patches? I mean, and they would never wear out. And you're, My mom would be like, Barden, you know, you, those tough skins, they'll last about eight years. I go, I know it. I know, it, but I want a pair of Levi's. So so that Christmas, um, you know, I opened up my Christmas, and I got a pair of Levi's. So, But they got me a pair that didn't have the right tag on the back. I'm like, these aren't the right, these are like, you can't even see the Levi's. It's like generic Levi's. I'm going to get laughed. like We thought this, you know, it's just that, that, Do we change as adults? I don't think we change that much as adults. And there's this, there's something within us that that looks to be accepted. That that we strive so many times for these empty things in our lives to make us feel secure, to make us feel validated. And that's really what we've been looking at are these empty promises and these things that just don't, don't deliver. I, I read something really interesting the other day, and this was from, uh, Madonna, the singer and Madonna early in her career, really, really struggled with this. And she said something early on years ago that described her success in music this way. And I'm going to quote from her. This is what she said about her music. She says, I have an iron will And all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it to discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, mediocre, mediocrity. And and that's always pushing me, pushing me, and pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. See, what's what is that struggle? What what is that struggle? The the, the struggle to have to to prove ourselves through, through what I have achieved. And I, and I, and I think in one way or another, we all, we all struggle with that achievement to to fit in. If I can just be this way, people will like me, people will love me and people will accept me. What, what, where is that coming from? And, And that's why we're in this series, looking at these empty promises, because we know at the end of the day, we strive for this one thing and then, and then we grab it and then it, it doesn 't fulfill us like we thought it would, and it, it it lets us down and so what happens is these empty promises can actually become idols in our lives. Now we think of an idol as as maybe the golden calf in the Old Testament, where the Israelites worshiped this this image or the, or, or, or this idol this made made image. but an idol is anything that we put above God that we strive for in our life to think that thing will deliver and it's it 's not even it 's not even a bad thing, many times idols are good things, Tim Keller says Pastor Tim Keller says it this way that are good things that we make ultimate things. It, it can be our kids. kids kids are good well, some kids are yeah. um, kids are good right and and but, but what happens when we pour our whole lives and we make our kids. This thing that, that they're going to fulfill my needs and my desires and I vicariously live through my kids and I want my kids to be this way. And then when things don't turn out the way I think or they don't turn out the way I want them to, then we're devastated because we made a good thing, an ultimate thing in our life. I like Tim Keller it goes on and, it, it, to say something else, but, but, but let, me, let, me, let me throw this, this, this statement right out at the beginning. An empty promise is something we believe will bring us worth and acceptance. That, that's basically what it is. It's, it's something that we believe will bring us worth and, And acceptance. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I had that, then I would feel that my life has meaning. And then I'll know I'll have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And so the reason why we're driven by those things, we're driven by those things because it's it's our need to feel accepted. And so when we are driven... When we are driven by achievement, we run the risk of having to prove ourselves over and over again. It's, a, it's just an empty, empty pit. And he, he, let me, if, if, if you don't believe that, let me, let me stress why I believe this is true. Popular singers will say this. They will say that you're only as good as your last hit song. Or athletes will say, you're only as good as your last game. Or in business, it will be, you're only as good as your last deal. Or even pastors run this risk, that you're only as good as your last sermon. I, I heard this quote from NASCAR driver. How many of you are NASCAR fans out there? Come on, Wayne County. Yeah, there's got to be more than that. That's it? Man, We're in Wayne County. That's it? Here's, uh, here's Martin Truex. He said, he said this. He goes, you're only as good as your last race. Do, do you see that emptiness that, that we try to gain through achievement and performance that we we, we we only validate ourselves by what we did yesterday for the for many elite athletes it's it 's not even about the money anymore it 's about the success and wanting to be the best so it really does boil down to validation. I am validated when I achieve this certain thing in my life. And this is where the danger lies. This is where it lies. Because the lie we believe is this. Here's a lie we believe. We believe that our self-worth is is attached to our net worth or our self-worth is attached to our achievements. I am worthy... When I can achieve this thing in my life, then I will feel successful. I will feel good about myself. People will like me and people will, will, will honor me if I can just achieve this thing. If I can get this accolade, if I can get this award, if I, can, if I can just get this trophy. Let me ask you that ever played sports and you're old like me, we're all your trophies now all your medals. Now I don't even know where my swam and I I got medals and I got trophies. I don't know where they are. And you just like, I don't remember who cares. You know, I, when I pray with people, you, 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 you pray with a lot of people at the end of their lives. You do. There, There are times where I'm praying with many, many people at the end of their lives. And I have yet to hear one person say, pastor, before I go off to be with Jesus, can you just get me my bowling trophy? I just want to hold my bowling trophy just one more time. Just give me, they don't care about their boat, right? Doesn't that put things in, 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 into perspective? And so when, when we try to gain worth through external things, it, it's, like, it's, like, it's like trying to fill a water jug with holes in it. It just, it, it will never be filled. In fact, there is a man that, that, that we know that lived in the Old Testament. His name, his name was King Solomon. And King Solomon had everything. He was the wisest, wealthiest man to live at that time. And what we know about this man, King Solomon, is that he was the son of King David. And what God allowed Solomon to do was to build the temple in Jerusalem. And and, and just Solomon was beyond wealthy. It is estimated that Solomon's worth today would be $2.2 trillion. Somebody say that's a lot of money. Look at your neighbor and say, I wish I had $2.2 trillion, right? See, see, Solomon had everything. Now, I want you to listen to what Solomon said, looking back over his life. Now, he achieved everything. People traveled just to get wisdom from him and to see his great wealth that God blessed him with. And so he had everything. And I want you to listen to his words. Ecclesiastes 2, 10, 11. These words of Solomon are so true. He says this, I denied myself nothing my eye desired. Nothing his eye, he went out, he saw a four-wheeler he wanted. I want that four-wheeler, right? We were were able to um, go to Arizona a couple weeks ago to, to, to see my nephew get married and went to Sedona. If you've ever been to Sedona, it's just absolutely beautiful. And we got to rent one of these Polaris Razors. There are these four wheel drive machines that can go anywhere and you can go off roading with them. I just live my, it was so much fun. I was going crazy. Just going over the, it was just so, it was just so much fun. And it's like, you know, you're like, man, I'd love to have one of these razors. I could do it. She, Catherine's like, where are you going in the, our backyard's like 10 feet long. Where are you going with that thing in our backyard? You're not going anywhere. I go, yeah, but it's cool. You know, it's just, it, these things are cool. But he wanted a Polaris razor. Solomon said, I want a Polaris razor just to, to ride around Jerusalem I mean, he, he says, I had everything. I refused my heart, no pleasure. I refused my heart, no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and it was the reward of my, of my toil. Yet, he says, yet when I surveyed all that my hand had done and what I had toiled to, to achieve, Everything, let's all say it together, was what? Meaningless. meaningless. It was actually a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. How true are these words? What did Solomon discover? Pleasure can actually be meaningless. It's interesting how, how we spend our whole lives seeking pleasure. And this is going to make me feel good. And if I just had this, and if I had this job, and if I had this success, and if I had this much money in the bank, and if I could just achieve this, all of a sudden we realize it's just meaningless. And you will talk to elite athletes. Many have achieved great things. And then they achieve that thing. And they say, after that time, it was probably one of the loneliest moments in my life. See, all the stuff that he'd accumulated didn't do it for him. While chasing it was a challenge, after he caught it, it didn't deliver. Solomon called it a chasing after the wind. I can compare this to my treadmill. How many of you have a treadmill? Okay, you guys need to get... What's going on here, people? We, you know, so I, I... I Jog like, you know, five, six times a week. But I, 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 in the winter, if it's under 30, I am not going outside. So we have a, we have a treadmill in our basement. So I, I run on that in, in, in the wintertime. And I was thinking about this chasing after the wind. And, uh, you know, you, you realize you're burning all these calories and you're getting sweaty. But really, you're going nowhere. Think about it. You're going, you're sweating, you're burning calories, but you are going nowhere. Solomon and all he achieved wasn't enough to satisfy him And his desire for more. See, chasing achievements to gain self-worth is like running on a treadmill. We're going nowhere fast in a hurry. That's all it is. See, should we want to do our best? Of course. The problem comes when I use my achievements as trophies to prove my worth. Are you catching me here? See, that's what Solomon realized. All these treasures didn't prove his worth. In fact, he saw it as meaningless. So if that's the case, we will have to continue to prove ourselves over and over and over and over again. I I want to share this story, another story in the Old Testament that, that just reiterates this point. And there was this powerful man, successful man, a great warrior, and his name was Naaman and he was he was head of this uh, army in aram and in which is now modern day uh, syria and and this 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 soldier, this wealthy man, had it all except one thing he had everything except one thing and let me read it 's found in second kings five one and let me let me read it for you. It says now naaman was the commander, he was the commander he was he was the chief, he was the head guy. Of the army of the king of Aram. And he was a great man. In the sight of his master. And he was highly regarded. Well respected. A great man. Because through him the Lord had given victory through Aram. And he was a a valiant soldier. But one thing. He had leprosy. Now I never like the word but at the end of a sentence. Always gets me right. You'll hear something like. uh, I have great news for you but. Or your car is ready, but it's going to cost another thousand dollars. You know, you hear, you're like, no, don't say, but don't, don't say my car is ready. Just say your car is ready. And it's what I quoted you. Right. You know, it, 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 we hear things like, you know, your test results came back, but it's not good news. See. What we see in Naaman, we see, we see all these accomplishments, all these things that he had done, but the author said, but he had leprosy. And in so many words, he was basically a dead man walking. And so this disease was so crippling and so painful, ultimately ending in death. There just wasn't, there wasn't a cure for it. And, and and so Naaman was going to die. Here's a successful man. He had everything, a valiant warrior, but he's going to die because he has leprosy. Now on the outside, on the outside, Naaman had everything. But on the inside, he was literally wasting away. And so the interesting thing about this story is Naaman's wife had a servant girl from Israel. And and the, what this servant girl did is she told him about a prophet in Israel named Elisha who could actually heal him by the power of God. Well, He's got nothing to lose here. And so so Naaman goes to Israel to, to meet with the king of Israel at the time. And what he does is he takes a lot of money and a letter of recommendation from his king. So he goes from one country to the next. He takes all this money. He takes his status. He says, I'm a valiant warrior. I have a lot of money. Let me just bypass Elijah and just go to the head honcho. Let me just go to the king of Israel and let me just, you know. How you doing, right? I got a lot of money. I got a recommendation from my king to, to you, the king of Israel. Let's get this deal done. I need healing. You can take care of it for me. So can, can, can you move? Can you do some things for me and uh, give me a recommendation so that this healing can come to me? Now, here's the problem. He's bypassing Elijah altogether and thinking that the king of Israel could command the prophet to do his bidding. And boy, was Naaman misguided. Naaman didn't realize that only God could heal him. And so the king of Israel, when he hears these words from Naaman, it tells us that he actually tore his clothes at the request, knowing that, that he could not do this. And so Naaman thought that his wealth and his achievements could actually bring his healing. And so Naaman goes, okay, then I guess I'll go to Elisha's house. And so he goes to Elijah's house, and let's pick it up in the story here in Second Kings chapter five. So here's what it says: It says Elijah sent a messenger to him. So what Elijah Elijah doesn't even meet him. Elijah sends a messenger to him, and this is what the messenger says to Naaman: Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. That's it. No pomp and circumstance. Elijah didn't even pray over him. There was no religious thing that, that was part of this. The best news said, yeah, just go to the Jordan. Wash yourself seven times. You're all set. But look at verse 11. This is crazy. But Naaman went away angry. What is wrong with this guy? He went away angry. He says this. This is how misguided Naaman was. He was so infatuated with his own wealth and who he was as a person. And he thought that is the thing that would get him healed. He says this, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of leprosy. He basically says, you know, I... He he says in the story, I can actually go to my own river and do the same thing. This was a big waste of time. Why am I doing this? Why doesn't he come meet me? Doesn't he know who I am? Elisha didn't take his money. Elisha didn't do any religious rituals around him. Elisha didn't even go out and talk with him. He sent his servant instead and Naaman is ticked. See, Naaman thought that I have to do something. Isn't my money good enough? He thought, he thought he was being slighted by Elijah. Isn't my money good enough? All I have to do is dip myself in the Jordan River. Can't I do that in my ribbon, in my rivers? Why the Jordan? And so what happens is he's ticked and he's not going to go. He's, he would rather, this is how hardened his heart is. And this is how much he is too impressed with his own status and his own achievements that he would rather walk away with leprosy than go into the Jordan. Do you see how stubborn he was? We've never been there, have we? It's never happened to any of us. I would rather be stubborn than have to do this. And so his servant convinces him to do as the prophet says. So he does, he does it. And so I want you to see something. Naaman learned something that we all need to learn. So Naaman goes and he's healed. But Naaman learned something we all need to learn, that God's grace is not achieved by our works. See, the only thing that could heal Naaman was God's grace. Did did Naaman earn it or merit his healing? No. He was kind of a jerk. You ever meet a jerk? You ever meet somebody that's just jerky? And you're just like, they don't deserve God's grace. Like, God, bring fire and hailstone down on this person right now, right? If we're not praying, God, just touch them. Lord, change their heart. I know they're just bitter and they're hurting. We never look that far. We just say, you know, they're a jerk. Lord, send your lightning down now. So, so what Naaman does at this point is he comes to the place of helplessness. His money, his achievement, his status could do nothing. bring his healing only God's grace could so what name it does he goes to the Jordan and he's healed but more than this his heart is changed and what the story tells us he begins to worship the only true God of Israel the only true God see that's the thing that begins to change in our hearts and life when we realize our achievements will never change us they will never validate who we are And when we chase after those things, they will be empty promises in our lives. See, Jesus Christ came to restore the brokenness in our heart that was left behind because of sin. And so because of that, we chase empty things. And Jesus says, I've come to validate your life by giving my life for you. Wearing a pair of Levi's will never validate your life. Or if you ever get those Timberland boots. And by the way, I didn't. I'm still in therapy for that today. Okay? So here it is. Here's what I want you to see. That our success and our achievements, if they're done for me to try to find fulfillment in myself, will always come up empty. Now, it's not wrong to achieve. It's not wrong to be successful in what we do. That's great. But if if that's what all they are, is to validate my life, you'll be empty every single time. I can remember many years ago, I was talking to a very successful person at the top pretty much of the level of his field. And uh, everything on the outside looked great. I mean, if you were to look at this person, smart, successful, top of his field, pulled me aside one time. He said, Pastor, can I I, I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. And I was even very impressed with this person, very enamored with what they've achieved in their life. And they said... um, I want to share something with you that's really been bothering me over the years. And he he said this to me, because I I've made a lot of mistakes over my life. And he goes, the biggest mistake I've made is that I put so much effort and so much time in in, in trying to, to, to achieve this certain thing in, in my field that um it's created a huge rift between me and my sons. And he says, um he goes I I'm so disappointed. He goes, I, I know, I know I did it. And he goes, I know there's Adamassi, my sons, because of that, because I, I pushed in a, and I, and I really didn't put the effort I should have in that relationship that I needed with my sons. And he said, with all that success, he says, I didn't succeed. Listen, he goes with all that success. I didn't succeed in the most important part of my life. And that was my family. See, this was very humbling to him to admit to me, and, and, and we prayed, and, and he did. He did start working on that relationship with his sons, praise God. But, but we want this thing. We realize at the end of our life that we've achieved these things, but then we look and we see, oh, these are the things in my life that I'm missing, that I, I, I've missed because I bought the lie of achievement and success to validate my life. Um, you all know I love the Rocky movies. Rocky 1 is like the best, okay? Just no other movie like it. I love the part in Rocky where Adrian asks Rocky, why does it mean so much for you to go the distance? He, di- he didn't, he didn't want to beat Apollo. He just wanted to go the 15 rounds. He goes, if I can just go the 15 rounds. It wasn't even about winning. He goes, he just wanted to go to the 15 rounds. She goes, he goes, I just want to go the distance with the champ. And she goes, why, why? And he says this, Rocky says, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. I don't know if any of you ever watched the movie at chariots of fire. It's a movie that's based on the 1924 Olympic games. And you have two main characters. If you've ever watched the movie, understand the story. You have Eric Liddell, who is from England, just world renowned, hundred meter dash runner. And then he's got his counterpart, um, Harold Abrams who are both running it and they're in a huge competition with each other and if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire I'd recommend you watch it's a great, great, great movie Eric Liddell who was a missionary in China actually died there um, and you've got these two main characters and they're, and they're competing to win the 100 meters and he, Harold Abrams says this on his race you see this juxtapose the two lives and how they see this race it's amazing Harold Abrams Abrahams looks at the race and he says this I will Raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. And then you, you juxtapose that to, to Eric Liddell, and he says this. He, he was ha- having a conversation with his sister Jenny, and, and she was really wanting him to go on the mission field and forget the Olympic, who cares? But he goes, he goes No, I need to do this. I, I want to go on the mission field, but I, I need to do this. I need to run this race. And here's his perspective. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. He says, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Do you see the difference there? Do you see the difference? So let me just finish with this. And then we're going to party with those getting baptized. So I hope you stay. And celebrate with us for those getting baptized. Let, let me wrap this up. How do we break the chain of trying to prove ourselves through our achievements? Because we I don't care how old you are, whether it's trying to get a pair of Levi's when you're seventh grade, or or you're trying to or you, you're trying to prove everybody by what car you drive, or whatever, your status, whatever it is, your job, whatever, so people think they're impressed with you. How do how do we break the chain of trying to prove ourselves through achievements? I I, I like what let, let me quote Tim Keller again here. I love what he says. He says, We need to stop coming to God and saying this, look at what I've done. Look at my trophies or look at all that I've been through or all that I've suffered. God simply wants us to look at him and confess you're all I need. See Naaman, this is what, this is what God says to Naaman. Naaman, I don't need your money. I don't need your recommendations. I'm going to heal you by my grace alone. See, God doesn't expect us to go and get the broom from the wicked witch of the West in order to win his acceptance. Somebody say amen. See, intrinsically when all, in all of us, we're trying to prove ourselves by our achievements. And when you look at the gospel message, it's completely the polar opposite. God says, I'm not looking for your achievements in order for you to accept me. I've already accomplished all that for you through my son on the cross. It's through Jesus's works and everything he achieved for us that we are now accepted. Not based on my performance or whether or not I, I win the 100 meters in the 1924 Olympic Games or I achieve all these things. Jesus already achieved it. That's why Eric Liddell, he understood that he wasn't trying to prove himself through his race. He, he already was proven by God's grace and love that was displayed in his heart and his life. So now he could run completely different, free from trying to prove himself on whether or not... He won or not won. Do you see the difference? This is so important for us to understand. See, we're all looking for acceptance, wanting to feel valuable, but God tells us, listen, I I will give you my grace for free, not based on merit or status or achievement. I give you this grace for free. And so what's the what's the thing that I want to just leave leave you with? And we're gonna we're gonna finish just singing one song and we're going to pray and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go this morning, but le, let me, let me, let me give you this takeaway. Does your identity and who you are hinge on your achievements? Are, are, when you're up at night and you're, you got your head and you're, you're, you are you can not sleep and your head is on that pillow. Are you thinking about, man, if only I had this, if only I was accepted, if only I had more of this, I mean, uh, Are you trying to validate your existence by what you have or what you achieved? And this is what's wonderful about coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ is because you will find your validation in him and him alone because he gives it to you for free. And what I love about this is that we can come to him with all our mistakes, all the messy stuff that's happened in our life, all our bad decisions, all our sin, and we can bring it to Jesus Christ and we can say, here you go. We're going to sing this song, and it's called "Come to the Altar." Let me explain it to you, because some of you may not. What does it mean to come to the altar? Let let me let me explain. In the Old Testament, you see this place in the temple that was called the altar. It's actually in front of the temple. It, It was a place where sacrifices were made. It was actually a place of of consecration, where where animals were brought. They were sacrificed in place of our sins. There had to be a penalty paid for our sin. And so for a while, God allowed them to do these sacrifices to temporarily atone or cover their sin. And we know that all of these sacrifices in the sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who became our ultimate sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago. Because he was perfect and he was God. So literally, Jesus was our substitute. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin, and, and that we might experience the righteousness of God. And so Jesus literally became our substitute by taking our sin. And it was through God's grace and mercy, none of us deserved it or earned it, but it was through his grace and mercy that he did this for us, saying, "You, I'm going to do something for you that you're not going to be able to do for yourself. There's not enough good works, there's not enough things you can ever achieve to ever Allow me to accept you because you're too far away. We, we think that my goodness is, well, you know, is my goodness good enough? And then we get the end of our lives. They do, do, my, do my good works, outweigh my bad works, and that's how God accepts me. Survey says, ah, no, it's not. There's not enough good things you could ever do to ever come close to a holy God. That's why he sent Jesus. We have to get to the place of Naaman. We've got to get to that place where we say, you know what, it's not my money, it's not my status. it's not my good work. I've got to become helpless before you. So what does it have to do with the altar? Well, the altar was a, was a visual reminder to the Israelites that their sin was before them and it could only be covered through a sacrifice that was made to God. And what I love about this song is that when we look into the New Testament, we say, come to the altar. Many times we I, I'm pointing up here because you're like, why are you pointing up here, pastor? What does what this mean? Why are you pointing up here? Well, many of you, maybe you were brought up where maybe you came forward for an altar call. Some of you old, you, anybody know what that means? Altar call, you old people like me. Okay, you know what? It was really Charles Finney's revivals back in the 1800s would actually call people to come forward. And we look at the front of the church, maybe it's the altar area, Right. But I want you to look at this even in a deeper way. We can actually make our hearts altars where we come to God and we say, I need to lay down a sacrifice to you. I'm going to lay my life down to you because I need you to consecrate my heart and my life. Symbolically, what we need to do is this. Jesus, I need you to consecrate my life. I need to come to the altar of God and I want to lay down my achievements I want to lay down my status I'm going to lay down my 401k plan I'm going to lay my wallet down my checkbook my Timberland boots my Levi's whatever I'm doing my achievements I'm going to lay those down because I know none of those things can ever validate my life amen good spot for an amen We need to come to the altar and say, God, I lay my life down anew and afresh. And so as we sing this song, what I want you to do is I want you, the words are beautiful, beautiful words. I want you to sing that as a prayer to God this morning. And I want you to look at your life and say, God, what are, what's something, am I chasing those things to try to validate my life? And I want you to just lay that thing down to say, God, that thing could never validate my life the way Jesus, and I want you to give your heart to the Lord, give your heart to Christ and allow him to consecrate your life again, and allow you allow you to find who you are the validation of your life to be in Christ and Christ alone, and then it will be like it will be like Eric Liddell you look at things completely different right? I don't need those, even though success is great and God wants us to do our best and he wants to bless us, but those things are not what I need to make me feel good about my life. I have Jesus now, and Jesus validates my life. And I don't have to chase those things anymore to feel validated in my life. Amen. So let's come to the altar and let's lay those things down and let's make our hearts those that place of an altar that we lay that down before the Lord. And let the Lord speak to you. Let, let Jesus receive you this morning. Let Him do the healing. Let Him fix your brokenness. Don't come with your goodness. Because He won't, He's gonna say that ain't gonna work. Naaman's money didn't work. You come just as you are broken, messed up. Prideful, You come as you are and let the Lord's grace heal you today. And he will receive you. He will restore you. And he will change your life. Amen. So would you stand with me? And I want us to pray. Would you bow your hearts with me? And let's pray this morning. Father God, as we just come to you this morning, as we just jump into this song. Lord, I pray for any person here who just feels in their life right now. They feel down. They feel like life has let them down. Maybe they they didn't achieve things that they thought they could achieve. Or maybe they're chasing things that just are not satisfying them. And Lord, I just pray that we would come to you, that we would make an altar in our heart today and and that you would consecrate us, that we would lay those things down and that we would just come as we are with all our brokenness, with all the messy things in our hearts and we would just come to you today. And Jesus, we want you to receive us. We want you to validate us. You came to lead us back home again to a right relationship with God the Father and we now realize that these things in this world can never ultimately satisfy us. Thank you. Thank you for blessing us with things. But those things should never be ultimate things. Those things can never validate our lives. Let us be the people that use everything that's given us to glorify you. Just like Eric Liddell that that got his running, he wanted to use to glorify you. Change our minds today. Change our hearts as we come to you and as we lay our hearts down at the altar today. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. All God's children said.